Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. As we come to the last chapter of the Bible, you can turn there in your Bibles today. Revelation 22, it's right at the back. So you can basically just turn your Bible over and then flip one page back. And we'll be in Revelation 22. That's great for visitors because I know sometimes if it's like your first time around church and, uh, and you're not so familiar with your Bible and the pastor gets up and he says, please, can you turn to Zephaniah chapter 3? You know, then you just basically page until everybody stops paging and then you close your Bible again because you don't want people to know that you couldn't find it. Um, even as pastors sometimes, you know, and there's a, you know, go to Nehemiah and then you're like, wait, I think I know where that is. And when you page for too long, you get nervous. You're like, people are going to think I'm not a real pastor, you know? Um, and it actually reminds me when I was in high school, we had a community group and there was a girl who recently became a Christian. She was a Hindu before, got her first Bible. Uh, we invited her to community group and we decided to play a trick on her, which I don't know why we decided to do. Uh, high school kids, I'll put it down to, to being in high school, being a teenager, but we basically said, okay, everybody turn to Mark chapter 17, and we all pretended to find it, and uh, obviously Mark only has 16 chapters, and so she was going like, you know, Mark 16, Luke 1, Mark 16, Luke 1, kind of looking around, we're all fine, she's like, Mark, and eventually she looked up and she said, guys, I think my Bible's broken, um, so we're not going to do that to you today, you can just go to the back of the Bible, Revelation 22. And uh, I'm going to read these first five verses, a beautiful description. We saw the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and the new earth, this beautiful city that God has created that comes down to earth, that, that we will live in the city of peace um, that is so beautifully arrayed to display God's glory. Um, we have uploaded last week's uh, message online. If you haven't heard it, you can go and listen to that. But it continues on in Revelation 22 verse 1. John writes, he says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the, the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. The final restoration is all things as we come full circle here in the scriptures from Eden, the garden of Eden, the river that flowed through the garden, the tree of life, having sin enter into humanity through the fall of man, through the sinfulness of man, through the rebellion of mankind and the brokenness that was brought into our world as, as the world was subject to futility and we faced death physically and spiritually and hardship and, and all the hardship that we face in this life and God, how God weaves this beautiful tapestry of redemption throughout the ages, calling Israel as his nation, bringing the prophets to prophesy this restoration that will come, and bringing the Messiah through that nation. Jesus himself, who in the most important moment in human history dies on the cross for the redemption of all mankind, the outworking of that, the message being spread to a desperate humanity through the church, 
And then finally, God redeeming all things and bringing it together, restoring Eden the way He always promised He would, restoring man's relationship with God, bringing us back into a place of perfect peace and perfect unity with Him. This beautiful picture of redemption, what God is doing, we are still a part of that plan, and we await this eternal salvation in the years that are to come. This is what God does. He is a restorer. He is a redeemer. That's what He does. He's doing it in your life right now. He does it for all of us, and He will do it in eternity as well. So let's go ahead and pray this morning, and uh, we will get into Revelation 22. Father, we just thank You for who You are, for Your love, for Your kindness, for Your mercy. We thank You, God, for what You're doing in our hearts now as You have already redeemed us, God, causing us to live redeemed lives. God, thank you for the hope that we have that, that every day we look a little bit more like you. Every day we taste more of your redemption and salvation. And this will continue on until we taste the fullness thereof in heaven. We thank you, God, that we have this hope and this future to look forward to. We thank you, God, for what you're doing in us and through us. In Jesus' mighty name, everybody said, amen, amen. So it's been pretty warm in Joburg. Uh, the, this last week, we've had a little bit of a heat wave and, and some great rain as well, which has been amazing. But um, I was thinking about this yesterday. I don't know if there is anything more refreshing than being out on the sports field or working hard in the yard or in your home or just, you know, having to go about your day and when it gets hot and, and sweaty in these summer months and being able to get home and just dive into a nice, cool swimming pool, right? Anybody felt like just diving into a pool this last week uh, with all this heat? It's just so amazing, so refreshing. And, uh, and so I've been struggling with my pool. If you've owned a pool, it's part of the curse. It's part of the hardship of this world. Trying to keep a pool blue is one of the most, you know, it's like raising kids, keeping a pool blue, fulfilling your calling, you know, whatever. So it's just incredibly difficult. And so I managed to change the, the, the filter sand. I realized that was the problem with my pool. So I, I dug the sand out with my own hand. If it looks like I've got scars all over my hands, I do. I sacrificed myself for my family so they could have a swim this past week. And I was doing all of this. And so it, it is, and I can share with you the wonderful news today that my pool is blue. Um, but also, then I, you know, once I'm on a roll, I wanted to fix the lights um, that haven't worked since we moved in there. So I was sitting there with these lights, and I was trying to redo the wiring and all the stuff. And, uh, you know, I was just sitting in the sun, and it was so hot. I could just feel my neck burning and just a scorching heat. And I thought, that's such a great metaphor for what life is like, right? You have to do all this stuff. It's hard work. It's toil. It's part of the curse. Literally, the Bible says that because of how sin entered the world, because of the brokenness of humanity, it's only by toil that the earth produces its crops and that we get to nourish ourselves. And so if you don't work, you don't eat, it's a hard world to live in. And I was sitting there fixing these lights going, this is part of the curse. This is just part of life on earth that you have to do stuff like this. It could be fixing lights. It could be changing light bulbs. It could be, uh, you know, attending birthday parties of toddlers where everybody coughs. You know, it, it, could, be, it could be doing your taxes. Just life is difficult. And after, you know, fixing the lights eventually, uh, I was so sweaty, had, you know, felt a little bit sunburnt, 
And I just, in my clothes and everything I had on, I just flopped over into the pool and just felt that refreshing water wash over me, wash away that heat and wash away uh, all that hardship. And I, and I just had this sense that this is really what salvation is like. It's experiencing the refreshing of God. It's having a refreshing that starts on the inside of you, uh, that, that, that God begins to take all the strife and the striving and the anxiety and the hardship that we face, and He just, he just pours this beautiful, refreshing water of His presence into your life. And all of a sudden, you have the ability to endure things that you couldn't endure before. You're able to walk through things you couldn't walk through before because God has brought a refreshing to your life. That's why it's new life. It's newness of life when you come to Jesus. You can see it on a person's face when they go from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus. There's newness. That's at least how it should be. That's what church should feel like. If we, if we could uh, create a metaphor here this morning, if, if working hard out there in the week, coming to church should be like diving into a swimming pool. It's supposed to be something that we love to do as we worship together because in the presence of God, there is refreshing there is peace, there is joy, there is, there is hope. And so this is like a place that people can dive into and, and find uh, a refreshing for their souls in the midst of what is the harsh realities of life. And we carry that with us. It's so, so beautiful. And in the ultimate sense, what we see in heaven is that there is this beautiful river that flows through heaven. And it's crystal clear, these waters. It's the waters of life. And I don't know about you, but when I read that scripture, I want to find a river and I want to jump into it. Like, I just want to experience, you know, that, that, that refreshing. It reminds me of a time when I was with some friends and uh, we were waiting for his dad. His dad had gone somewhere and was on his way back and the whole family was waiting. I can't remember. We, I think we were going out to eat and we we're waiting for him late afternoon uh, he was walking from somewhere and on, on holiday in this uh, little town on the, on the Western Cape Coast. And so we're waiting for him. And eventually we see this figure coming down the road and we see he's drenched. Like he's completely wet in his clothes. We're like, what happened? You know, did he fall into the river? Did he, uh, what, you know, we, we didn't, it was strange to us that he's walking towards us sopping wet, carrying his shoes in his hands. And when he got closer, he had this big smile on his face. We said, what happened to you? And he said he was walking along the river and it just looked so pristine. It just looked so refreshing on this warm summer day that he couldn't help himself. He took off his shoes and he just dove into the river and, uh, and just had this massive swim and then got out and walked back home, uh, still wet, no towel, nothing. And, you know, that's just a beautiful picture of what it looks like when we come to Jesus, the refreshing that we experience. Acts 3 says this, Peter gets up to preach in the book of Acts, and he's talking to people that have been religious, people that have uh, served under the law, people that have listened to the Pharisees, people that have, that have tried their best to do everything they needed to do in order to, to be faithful to God um, in their own strength, and, and in essence, to earn salvation the way that we earn everything else in this world, which is through hard work. But God brings us a better message than that. He brings us a refreshing message, a good news, a gospel for that. In Acts 3.19, it says, repent, therefore, and turn back. Turn back. Teshuvah is the original Hebrew word for repentance. It means to go back to God. It means to return to the one from whom we came and to find that place of refreshing. You find the picture of the prodigal son as he sits in the pigsty going, do I really have to deal with this? And God going, no, you don't. I've got more for you. I love you. I care. You are my son. You are my daughter. You can come home. And so repentance isn't, isn't a begrudging kind of, okay, I guess I'll be in trouble if I don't go home. 
It's you get to go home. You don't have to sit in the pigsty. You don't have to be on the battlefield. You don't have to be in the trenches anymore. You get to return to God and receive His grace and experience His embrace. So repent, therefore. Turn back that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. It's amazing to know that we always have access to refreshing because we live in God's presence. And as we become aware of His presence in our, in our daily lives, we find virtue. We wait upon the Lord so that we can renew our strength and rise up on wings like eagles. This is what happens in the life of a Christian. It's why we can endure all things. It's why we can always carry on. It's why we always have virtue. It's why we can always move forward because there is grace. All we need is to wait upon the Lord. His grace is sufficient and His presence is refreshing. And that He may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for the restoring of all things. Here in Acts 3, God is going to restore all things. Right now, Jesus is in heaven, but He's returning, about which God spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets long ago. This is not something new. This is not a new message. This is not a new hope. This is something that God sent the prophets through the ages, through the generations to say, don't worry, people. Don't worry, church. I will restore all things. I will restore all things. We hold on to that hope, a time of refreshing and a time of restoring as the Bible comes full circle and we see the complete restoration of Eden as God brings his children home and undoes the effects of sinful humanity. I love how it tells us that in this beautiful city with this river and these, the tree of life that, that grows on either side of the city, it tells us that there is nothing accursed in this any longer. The curse has been done away with. The Bible says, cursed is anyone who hangs on a tree. Speaking about Jesus. He became sin for us. He was cursed for us. So there is no more curse on our lives. You know how many Christians still live their lives thinking they have to break generational curses and break this curse. And, and if you accidentally paging through a magazine and you see a horoscope and you read two lines, now I'm cursed and I need to break the curse and I need a pastor to pray for me so I can break the curse. And it's just not true. There is no curse in heaven. And yes, we still toil in this world, but there's no curse on our lives. There's no curse where God reigns. He reigns in heaven and He reigns in our hearts. So there's no curse but the tree of life instead. Previously, God prevented Adam and Eve, sinful humanity, to eat of that tree. Otherwise, there would have been immortality, but sinful, a sinful humanity for eternity. And so God protects that. But now, now that He's brought redemption to all things, now that He's removed the curse from humanity, he invites us to eat freely of the tree of life and of eternity. It produces its fruit in abundance, and we can eat freely of eternity. The result is the end of striving, the end of toil, the end of all these, these things that we feel we need to do in this life. Instead, we find ourselves in the new Jerusalem, the restored Eden. And there have been so many verses, there are so many verses that speak to what this will look like. And we covered one of them earlier on in Revelation 7. But listen to this, Revelation 7, 16, it says, They shall hunger no more, 
Imagine that. Imagine never having a hangry wife again. My wife doesn't eat a lot at all, but when she needs to eat, she needs to eat. That is priority number one. I learned this early on when we were dating. She sent me a message saying, make sure that your girl has eaten today. You don't want to lose her to some guy with sandwiches, right? <laughs> no more hunger. Neither thirst anymore. You see, our world lives with thirst. This is a place where we experience thirst, a place where we experience hunger. But in heaven, what we have is no more hunger, no more thirst. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. You see how that is a metaphor for what it feels like to live in this world, feeling and experiencing the scorching heat like I did trying to fix those lights next to the pool yesterday. Instead, we have Psalm 23, verse 2. He leads me beside still waters, the river of life. He restores my soul. This is something that we are going to experience in the complete sense in heaven, but it's something we experience in the presence of God, the presence of God in our lives today. He restores our souls. He, he upholds us. He refreshes us. We are rescued from having to eat from the sweat of our brow and the harsh realities of this, of this world. We experience this eternal peace in a restored relationship with Jesus. Let's not miss the point here. Too many people make revelation about what's going to happen in the end times. And they begin to worship that. And even right here in Revelation 22, for the third time, John falls down on the ground to worship the angel bringing the revelation. And the angel goes, stop worshiping me. Stop worshiping the revelation. Worship the one that the revelation is about. Worship Jesus. Worship God. And so this isn't about, I mean, we have this beautiful hope of heaven. But this is more than about finding hope in heaven. This is about finding hope in Jesus. And that hope is real right now. It's real for your every day. It's real when you wake up tomorrow morning and have to go back to work. And so the hope that we have, the refreshing that we have, the life that we have, isn't just something we'll experience in heaven. It's something we experience today through our relationship with Jesus. The walk that you have with Jesus. And I love how in Revelation 22 verse 4 we read this now, it says, they will see his face. You know, before under the law with Moses, Moses, God had to cover Moses' face. Under the law, you can't see his face and live. But in the heavenly Jerusalem, in heaven, and in our relationship with God, we get to see his face. This is what heaven is like. The angel, Revelation 22:1, showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. So, so from where God's throne is, there's this living water. In other words, it proceeds from His authority. It, it proceeds from His sovereignty. Uh, it also talks about the throne as the throne of grace. It's, it's His grace flowing. And this, this river flows throughout heaven. It's, it's the move of God. It's the presence of God. It's the Spirit of God. And it hasn't only flowed in heaven. It doesn't only flow in heaven. You know, so many religions are about how to get to heaven. Christianity is the one religion about how heaven gets to earth, how heaven invades earth, how it flows back into earth. And so we have this, this source, this beautiful spiritual reality of the, of the river of God and the move of the Holy Spirit 
like a river, stemming from the ultimate authority and ability of God, from the, from the Lamb, the grace of God. And where it goes, it brings healing, and it brings life, and it brings provision. But we see that this same river invades earth. It leaks out into earth. If you ever had a leak in your plumbing, it starts as like a little trickle, and before you know it, there is like a torrent coming through your wall. This is what it's like. There's this trickle of heaven that trickles down into earth. And we see it prophesied in the Old Testament. God is showing us what His presence does to this world and to those who believe in Him. In Ezekiel 47, verse 1, Ezekiel sees this. It says, Then He brought me back. The angel takes Ezekiel back to the door of the temple. Remember, the temple represented the presence of God on the earth. And the throne represented his presence here, the, the, sorry, the mercy seat represented his presence, the presence of God. And so he comes back to the temple and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple, south of the altar. Just imagine that beautiful image. She has this, this big temple uh, elaborately built and it's got all these amazing artifacts and all these, you know, just the curtain that hung in front of the, the most holy place was, was an, about an inch thick and, and you've got all this, you know, all the different elements and then out of this, there's this water flowing. This water begins to trickle out. It comes out from the threshold of the temple. Going on eastward with a measuring line in his hand, the man measured a thousand cubits and then led me through the water and it was ankle deep. So this, this little trickle is now beginning to grow. There's a progression here. It begins to swell. It begins to grow. Again, he measured a thousand and he led me through the water and it was now knee deep. Again, he measured a thousand and led me through the water and it was waist deep. Again, he measured a thousand and it was a river that I could not pass through, for the river had risen. It was deep enough to swim in a river that could not be passed through. This mighty river that issues from the temple of God that, that he shows to Ezekiel. And this is God's authority, his throne on earth. And there's also an expression here. God invites us over and over again to come and to drink. Of this water. And here he invites us through this vision to the prophet Ezekiel, not just to stand on the banks of the river, but to be immersed in it. It's almost a picture of baptism as we go down into that water and we come up out of it again, the river of living water. You know, so many people stand on the banks. So many people even, you could come to church and you could be right by the rivers, the move of God and the, and the presence of the Holy Spirit and the grace of Jesus is present and we could just dive in and be refreshed. But people kind of, have you ever, you know, told your kids you were going to go for a swim and then you kind of dip your toes and then you're like, guys, I'm just going to watch you swim. I'll just be over here because it's just, you didn't feel like swimming all of a sudden. That's what people do with church. They come to the river of God. They see God is moving. God's doing something. And they just dip their toes and they go, you know what? I think I'm okay here on the banks. That's basically how everybody in Cape Town swims when they go to the sea. Just, yeah, I feel so hot. I feel like I swim. Yeah, no, I'm good. I'll go back to my towel, right? That's how everybody, the water is so cold out there. But people do this with church. And God is saying, no. 
You see, this is about whether or not you can truly surrender to God. That's how you know if you're following Him. Are you surrendered to Him? Do you trust Him? Do you believe in His unconditional love enough to say, right, God, I let go. I surrender. I'm at your mercy. I love how it starts out with the water ankle deep. Many of us start there. You know, when we, when we come to Jesus, we're like, okay, Jesus, okay, I'll do this a little bit. I'll go ankle deep. I'll just stand here in the shallows. But before you know it, there's a progression. God takes you from the shallows as you move into God's presence in your life, as you begin to taste His goodness and experience His grace. The next thing you know, you're knee deep. Now, when you're ankle deep, if you've ever run, like try to do a, reenact a Baywatch scene in like the shallows of the ocean, I haven't, but maybe you have, right? You can run when it's ankle deep. But the moment it gets knee deep, it's a little bit more difficult to run in your own strength. Now you kind of have to lift your knees up if you want to move through the water. And so there's this slow progression of us giving up control and giving over to Jesus. And so you go from ankle deep to knee deep, the next thing you waist deep. Now you can't run anymore. And then there comes a moment, and if you've swum in the ocean, you'll know that moment when you go just beyond where your toes can touch the sand. It's a scary place to be where you're now at the mercy of the waves and the currents. That's where God wants your life. If you had to look at your own life today, where are you at? Are you just knee deep, just ankle deep saying, God, I'm here, but I really don't want to surrender everything. Are you knee deep? Are you actually giving up your ability to run in your own strength? Or can you be like Ezekiel, where you're right in the middle of this beautiful, majestic, mighty river? That's so wide and so abundant that it cannot be passed. You can never go beyond God's grace. You can never outsin Him or outfail Him in any way. His grace is abundant and it's sufficient in every sense of the word. And this is what God wants for us. He wants us to not just make it look like we're swimming, but to actually get in to the water and to trust Him. And this river has some amazing things that God wants us to experience. It's so sad that so few people give up that control and trust in God because it is incredible what you experience, the provision and the peace and the healing of this water when it flows in your life. Incredible things happen when we begin to trust in God and we give ourselves to Him wholeheartedly. Ezekiel 47 verse 6, it goes on, he says, He said to me, Son of man, have you seen this? Then he led me back to the bank of the river, and as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. This is the tree of life. And he said to me, This water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. And wherever the river goes, every living creature that swarms will live, and there will be very many fish. For this water goes there, that the waters of the sea may become fresh. So everything will live where the river goes. Fishermen will stand beside the sea. From Engedi to Engelem, it will be a place for the spreading of nets. Its fish will be of very many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. And this was a picture that Ezekiel would have understood so clearly as east of the temple, it goes through the Valley of Arabah, which is one of the driest places on earth. This valley that is absolutely desolate and dry, nothing grows there. 
And at the bottom of that valley, as it moves down, you get to the Dead Sea that is so low down that it is below sea level. And because of that, it's filled with salt and nothing can live. The water isn't fresh, it's salt. But this vision that God shows Ezekiel says that this, when the water of the throne, from the throne of God, the, riving, the, the living rivers of living water, as they flow down through this valley, and as they enter into that dead and dry place, it brings healing. It brings times of refreshing. It brings life. And all of a sudden, you see the Dead Sea transformed into something that swarms with life. Swarms, teams with life. That's a picture of what God has done to our hearts. Our dry and dead and desolate hearts. God poured his, the presence, His love, His grace into our hearts and they became alive. And now He wants that same life that we've experienced to flow through us. You know, we had a thirst and Jesus quenched that thirst. We see the woman at the well. She came and Jesus said, if you ask me, I would give you water to drink and you will never thirst again. Rivers of living water. And so we see that God wants it to flow through our lives. Ezekiel 47 verse 11, the next verse says this. It says, but its swamps and marshes will not become fresh. The Dead Sea itself will be refreshed and come to life. But the swamps and the marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt. Whatever we don't put into God's hands, whatever we don't allow God to redeem by, by allowing it to flow through us, by allowing our lives to be a channel for God to use and, and our words and our, and, and our virtue and our finances, whatever we don't surrender to God doesn't get to produce that life. It doesn't get to make that difference. It just remains salty. God encourages us not just to experience His refreshing, but to extend it. Not just to receive the water, but to allow it to flow out of us. And that's what we are here as a church. Previously I said we were a swimming pool. But I'm going to change that and say we're a river. There's a flow here. God doesn't just want water coming in. He wants water going out. He wants that river to flow through the nations because the trees that grow alongside that river is healing for the nations. It's healing. It's life. It's hope. In the New Testament, so we've got heaven and the water coming from the throne. We've got the Old Testament and the water coming from the temple. In the New Testament, Jesus says this. In John seven thirty seven. it says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Where is the temple in the New Testament? We are temples of the Holy Spirit. Where does the throne of God reside in the New Testament? In our hearts. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. 
and the Holy Spirit flows forth from within us. So if your faith is in Jesus, your heart is a fountain. Your heart is a wellspring of life. God doesn't just renew and refresh your heart. He flows through your heart, through your life, through everything that your life represents. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Rivers of living water. Church, we've got a job to do. We've got a job to do. If this world is running a race, we're those people who stand with cups of water by the side. Have you seen those people? They grab cups of water and energy drinks and whatever else, and they hold it out to the people that are running. We're called to be those people. We're called to serve our city. We're called to serve our nation. We're called to serve God in loving others, refreshing them, sharing the source of this water that we found. God wants to flow through us. In Revelation 22, and I'm gonna end here, final verses 16 and 17, and then I'll read 20 and 21. As Revelation draws to a close and the scriptures come to a close, it says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. This is a message for the church to know. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come, we are the bride. Come and let the one who hears say, come and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. And His grace is with us because He is with us. His Spirit is with us. The living water is within us and issues forth from us. What an incredible perspective to have on this temporal life that we live. Even though it's difficult, even though it's hard, even though we toil, even though we feel the effects of the scorching sun within us, we are continually refreshed. Continually renewed day by day. God's renewing your life. Some of you have wondered, will I get through this year? Can I continue going? Can I make this work? You can. Because you have a daily refreshing in Jesus. Though our outer selves may be wasting away, inwardly we are renewed every single day until we experience the fullness of God's salvation and refreshing in heaven. And what a day that will be. Legitimately, there were some senses of me this past week that was jealous of my dad, having entered his rest. What a great thing to look forward to. But you know what? While we're here in the midst of what we face, God is sufficient. His grace is sufficient. And we have everything that we need in Jesus. Amen? Amen. Won't you stand with me this morning as we pray?